0: Well, good morning, everyone. I invite you to open your Bibles, if you have them, to uh, Jeremiah chapter 20. And today we're continuing our series called Formed, a series of studies out of this Old Testament book, uh, Old Testament book focusing on the theme of God's sovereignty. Keeping in mind uh, that God said to uh, the prophet Jeremiah and to the Israelites, he said, can I not do with you as the potter does? Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand. Translation, I'm in control not only of human history, but of your very lives. Now, if you've missed any of the series, um, just so you know, Jeremiah was a 6th century B.C. Jewish prophet called by God at a time in history when um, well, the people of Israel were living in sinful, unrepentant rebellion. And we're told that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah at a young age. We don't know how young he was. Scholars estimate he was somewhere between 17 and 25. But God goes to Jeremiah and he says to him, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah responds, he says, Alas, sovereign Lord, I I don't know how to speak, I'm too young. And God says, Don't say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you. I want you to take particular notice of that last statement, I am with you and will rescue you. This was God's commitment to Jeremiah from the start. Yet if you study his life, you learn pretty quickly that it was not an easy one. You know, Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet for a reason. Uh, the message God gave him to speak to Israel was one of dire warning. You know, it was about the people's need to repent, to turn from their sin and rebellion, uh, or else face the consequences. Uh, judgment, destruction, exile from the land. Needless to say, it was not a popular message with the people, and uh, their, their hostile reaction to it got directed at the messenger. You know, messenger. And so Jeremiah really took it on the chin, and he soon finds himself rejected by his friends, isolated, maligned, threatened, over time, he's falsely accused of being a traitor. He's persecuted. He's beaten. He's, he's imprisoned. He's chained up. He's publicly humiliated, thrown in a muddy cistern at one point, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's not too hard to, or too difficult to understand why at times uh, Jeremiah was confused. You know, he was confused, and he struggled with discouragement and disillusionment. Now, to a certain degree, it's hard for me to read. Uh, Jeremiah, because, uh, because here's a guy who, who does his best to obey God, and as a result, he's constantly in some kind of trouble. And plus, I don't know about you, but I like to read stories that are kind of peppered with some levity, you know what I mean? Some lighthearted moments, comic relief, if you will. You don't really get that with Jeremiah. Uh, why? Because this is not a fairy tale. It's, it's the account of a man's life, the hardness of it. The reality of it. And here in chapter 20, Jeremiah really, he hits a real low point. And he he gets brutally attacked outside the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, Then he's put in stocks by the religious authorities. And when he's released, when he's finally released, he says this to God. You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. I'm ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. The word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. I hear many whispering terror on every side, denounce him. Let's denounce him. All my friends are waiting for me to slip up, saying perhaps he'll be deceived, then we can prevail over him, take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. So my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. Lord Almighty, you who examine the righteous and probe the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance on them, for to you I have committed my cause. Sing to the Lord, give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. Cursed be the day I was born. When I first read this, (laughs) I thought, what is happening here? What is going on? Is Jeremiah totally losing it? Because his thoughts seem to be kind of all over the place and initially appear to lack any degree of uh, coherency. But as I read the section over and over a few more times, I realized that in the midst of his anguish, Jeremiah is simply experiencing and expressing um, the highs and lows of human emotions. Grief and joy, uh, despair and delight, praise and perplexity. And suddenly what began to emerge out of his comments, at least for me, uh, were some insights on how we might deal with suffering when it happens to us. For example, uh, Je- like Jeremiah, we need to acknowledge the reality of suffering. You know, He, he essentially says, He says, I'm ridiculed, I'm mocked, I'm insulted, I'm I'm slandered, I'm attacked, I'm beaten up, I'm hated by my friends, persecuted by my enemies, I'm all alone, I have nothing. I have no one. Here's my Ray K summary. Jeremiah says, my life is a total mess. I'm in a lot of physical, emotional, relational, and spiritual pain, and all of this suffering, it stinks. It stinks. In difficult situations, who here has never felt and said the same thing. We all have. Right? Um, so understand, Jeremiah, you know, he was unique in terms of his, his career and his historical circumstances, granted. But he was just a guy. You know, He, he was a flawed human being like the rest of us, and, and, and the problems of pain and suffering he faced were problems we all face. In a broken world, suffering plays no favorites. It shows up everywhere. It's unavoidable. And its scope and its impact can be overwhelming. And so for us to deny that or to avoid thinking about or talking about suffering until it hits us is a big mistake because in the midst of pain, it's really hard to think clearly. Like it or not, here's the deal. It doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter where you're from. doesn't matter what you do. No amount of money, no amount of power, no amount of education, no amount of prestige or planning can prevent loss, illness, accidents, relational betrayal, financial disaster, or a host of other problems and trouble from entering your experience. Human life is, is fatally fragile and subject to forces beyond our power to fully manage. Life can be tragic. I know it, you know it, and certainly Jeremiah knew it. Suffering is a reality, and with that being true, we should then we should then check our expectations. Because Jeremiah, Jeremiah says, Lord, you deceived me. And man oh man was I deceived. You overpowered me. You prevailed. What does he mean? Well, basically, Jeremiah is complaining. He's saying, God, look, you told me not to be afraid. You know, you said you would be with me and you would rescue me. And I'm not, I'm just right at the moment, I'm not seeing it. I'm not sensing the love here. You convinced me to go along with this whole prophetic shtick. Look where, look where I am. Look where it got me. No. Just feels like, he says, just feels like you tricked me. And I get why Jeremiah may have seen it that way, because of what God promised him, right? I mean, it's a big promise, but if you think about it, um, you realize the issue wasn't with God. The issue was with Jeremiah and with what I would suggest were faulty expectations, When God went to Jeremiah, he was a young guy, and God says, you know, he's going to be with him, he's going to rescue him, and it's very possible, reasonable, and likely that Jeremiah thought, he figured, hey, man, I got the sovereign creator, I got God on my side. This prophetic thing is going to be easy. What could possibly go wrong? Yet God's use of the term rescue implied that something would go wrong, and it did. And so there was no divine deception here. God never guaranteed, Jeremiah, a pain-free life and career. Now, I, I i don't know about you, but I have to admit that um, often when things don't go my way in life, whether it's at work or in relationships or, or health-wise, I have a tendency to, to feel at best disappointed in and at worst angry at God. Or just frustrated by unwanted, unexpected problems. The key word being unexpected. I mean don't get me wrong I expect all of you to have problems. All of you. You're going to have problems. You're going to have problems at work, at home, with your friends, at school you're going to have money problems, you're going to have health problems, you're all going to have problems. But for some sinfully twisted reason I'm surprised when problems come my way. I'm taken back when suffering, to any degree, touches me. And so periodically, I find myself having to check my expectations. What what do I really expect in life? What are your expectations? I mean, realize that, uh, as with Jeremiah, the sovereign Lord, as Jeremiah refers to God, the sovereign Lord never promises us a comfortable, pain-free existence. Never, ever promises that. In fact, Jesus said, "In this world, you will have what trouble you, you will have trouble. expect it, do we? do you now, I will say that, in spite of any misguided expectations, what I really appreciate about Jeremiah was his honesty with God, you know, which I think is important in the context of suffering because he just he just lays it out there, right He prays he says. He says, Lord, I, 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 feel like, I feel deceived here. I feel like you tricked me. And then he goes on to complain about a number of things. He doesn't hold anything back. He just lets it go. And when he's done venting, there's no lightning strike. There's no earthquake that splits open the ground and swallows him whole. Nothing like that happens. Every now and then, <clears throat> I'll have someone ask me, is it wrong to be angry with God? My first response to that is to remind them that anger is a natural human emotion, and uh, oftentimes emotions are neither right or wrong; they just are. What we do with our emotions, however, is an entirely separate matter, uh, manner uh, matter. Uh, but that said, uh, my advice is always the same: if you f- if you feel anger toward God, just tell him. Get it out. He's big enough, strong enough, secure enough to handle your hurt and frustration. I'd go so far to suggest God wants you to pray and express whatever it is in your mind and in your heart. There is a lot of dishonesty that goes on in relationships. And that's true in our relationship with God. Bottling up anger and, 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 and bitterness is never helpful. It's always hurtful. So get it out. And here, here's the deal. Jeremiah, in his prayer affirms how God examines, and what does he say? Probes the heart and mind. Meaning what? Meaning that God already knows your thoughts, your motives, your emotions. So if you fail to be honest with him, you're only deceiving yourself. Now whether Jeremiah would have articulated that, I don't know. But but clearly his understanding of God, his relationship to God was one in which he felt the security and the freedom to be brutally honest. He just gets it out there. Yet in the midst of that, in the midst of all of this, in the midst of his confusion, his frustration, his pain, his complaining, Jeremiah remains relentlessly obedient to God. He says, Lord, you know, whenever I speak out for you, I'm proclaiming violence and destruction and all this. People hate me for this. But if I say I won't do it anymore, if I say I quit, if I say I won't speak in your name again, your word is in my heart like a fire." a fire shut up in my bones, I'm weary of holding it in, indeed I cannot. I.e., he says, despite all the pain, all the suffering, I'll remain obedient, and I will do as you ask. And Jeremiah did. And this tells me something about obedience and suffering. Uh, it, it tells me that, that suffering takes no particular aim at wickedness and takes no particular detours around righteousness. Righteousness. Why is that important? I think it's important because people today tend to react to suffering in one of two ways. Religious type people uh, ask not just why is this happening to me, but uh, why is God punishing me? You know, well, what, what have I done wrong? And there are a lot of people uh, in the church, a lot of people call themselves Christians, who, who are of the opinion that if you experience uh, you know, poverty, loss, disappointment, sickness, or any unexpected trial or trauma—you must be messing up somehow. You must—you must not have enough faith. You must not be praying hard enough. You no, must not be giving enough, serving enough, going to enough church services, involved in enough uh, church programming. Clearly, God's upset with you, and your disobedience. And it's a very—it's um, a very moralistic um, reaction and approach to relating to God. It views any relationship to God as a quid pro quo arrangement. On the flip side, there are those in our culture today who, uh, who hold a very secular, cynical view of suffering. They say, look, life's a crapshoot. You know, there's, no, there's no divine purpose in any of it. Human existence is a random, meaningless deal. And, and even if there is some deity up there, out there, somewhere, given the state of things... Uh, at best, he's incompetent, and at worst, indifferent, not worthy to follow. Well, neither of those things was, was true of Jeremiah. Throughout his life, he, he was obedient to God, relentlessly so. Even in his confusion, even in his suffering, never does he reject God, never does he turn from God, but um, he trusts him no matter what. It wasn't easy, but he trusts him no matter what. And what's fascinating to me is that although Jeremiah had questions about the rescue side of things, how that actually was working, he didn't seem to question God's promise to be with him. I mean, even in his lament, lamenting his situation here, he is acutely aware of God's presence and power. He declares, the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. In other words, even in his, even in his darkest moment, Jeremiah knew that he was never truly alone. Never truly alone. And the sovereign Lord, who was always with him, would ultimately have his way. The Lord Almighty would be victorious. Jeremiah on some level knew he was on the winning side. You know, sinfully self-absorbed human beings, in times of trouble and discouragement, our inclination is to look inward. You know what I mean by that? Um, To focus on our pain, our situation, our frustration, our anger, our hurtful circumstances, when in fact we should be looking outward, beyond the immediate, to God, who is always with us, who never abandons us. Imagine the difference that might make in our daily lives if we if we remained acutely aware at all times of God's presence and power, through the good, the bad, the beautiful, the ugly, the confusion, the clarity, just knowing that he's always with us, the Lord Almighty. I mean, that spiritual reality, I don't know, I think it would provide a lot of hope and courage and guts and tenacity and perseverance. Christian author and theologian A.W. Tozer, in his classic book, The Pursuit of God, Uh, he puts it this way, he says, the world is perishing for lack of the knowledge of God and the church is famishing for want of his presence. The instant cure of most of our religious ills would be to enter the presence in spiritual experience, to become suddenly aware that we are in God and that God is in us. This would lift us out of our pitiful narrowness and cause our hearts to be enlarged. And I, I think he's right. In fact, I think that may be what was happening to Jeremiah in this particular moment. His heart was being being enlarged. His knowledge of God's presence and God's power caused him not to run from God or ignore God or reject God, but to worship God. He says, Sing to the Lord, give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. And really the text, the text reads there in Hebrew, He rescues the life of the needy one. He's talking about himself. He says, he rescues the life of a needy one. That's me. And I've been doing this uh, pastor thing for quite some time now, 28 years, 29, who's counting? But um, uh, one of the things I've noticed is that suffering in whatever form it enters a person's life to whatever degree has a unique way of doing one of two things. Either it draws people closer to God and strengthens their faith and love for him. Or it causes some, even the most religious among us, to turn and run from God. Pain has a way of producing resentment that gets fueled by this notion, we've been unfairly treated. But as we've already acknowledged, it's really not a matter of fairness because in in our world, pain and suffering is, is a problem for everybody. Not just in terms of experience, but in terms of explanation. Therefore, it's naive to think that if you turn away from God, it somehow makes the problem of suffering easier to deal with and explain. It doesn't. That's not true. It makes it harder. And I, I, I'm really troubled when I, see, uh, when I see followers of Jesus, Christians who, who experience some trauma in their life, or, or loss, or, or suffering of some sort, and, and their first inclination is to run away from God, not to run to God to avoid him, to avoid worshiping, to avoid all the community. And they do so to their own detriment. Now, I realize that somebody outside the church, someone in the culture, uh, would say, look, Ray, I don't, you know, I don't care what you say. I'm angry about the pain that I've experienced in my life and, and the suffering, and no amount of religious mumbo-jumbo can get your Christian God off the hook for the suffering in my life. Fair enough, but my hope is that person would somehow come to realize that the core message of Christianity is that God came deliberately to put himself on the hook of human suffering, right? In Jesus, deity came to live among us and experience what? Poverty, hunger, thirst, loss, grief, rejection, betrayal, injustice, injury, violence, torture, pain, and death. All of it. All of it. In other words, not only is suffering common to the human experience, it's God's experience as well. He gets it. He understands it. Jesus comes and suffers and sacrifices his own life to rescue us, the needy ones. The needy ones. And while it's true, Christianity doesn't provide definitive reasons for every single person's pain and suffering. It does provide deep resources for engaging adversity with humility, Uh, hope and courage rather than arrogance and bitterness and despair. Just this week I had coffee with a friend who um, spent about a year and a half, maybe closer to two years of his life battling cancer. And uh, he shared with me how it was a really hard thing. It was scary. It was a dark time for him and his family. They didn't know how it it was all going to work out. But he said, as hard as it all was, the disease changed him. It changed him. It it changed his view of things. It changed his view of life. It changed his view of family. It changed his view of friendship. It changed his view of work. It changed his view of faith. And he said, he's committed now more to God and more grateful to God than ever before. You know, while he didn't want to go through the disease or have the disease. He said the disease transformed him and pushed him closer to God. Look, I know some of you, I know some of you have suffered in your lives, your relationships. I get that. If you haven't, you will. (laughs) We all do. And as much as we don't like it, as much as we don't like it, the fact is that suffering, when it comes... It, it, it plunges us beneath the routine busyness of life where we, where we then find out if we really are who we say we are and if we really believe what we say we believe. Suffering will bring that reality to the surface. So what I've learned from Jeremiah uh, is that in the context of suffering, we should acknowledge the reality of it, we should check our expectations, we should be honest with God, we should be relentlessly obedient We should be aware of his presence and his power at all times and we should worship him no matter what. But there is one more thing because something happens here in chapter 20 between verse 13 where Jeremiah says sing to the Lord, give praise to the Lord and then verse verse 14 when he says cursed be the day I was born. Man, the abruptness of that shift in attitude just took me back. It struck me as being really weird. You know? Jeremiah goes from worshiping God one second to cursing his birthday the next, essentially saying, God, you should never have given me life because it's a a train wreck. So what does that tell us? Well, it tells me that in the face of suffering, we need to always remember what Jeremiah quickly forgot, God's sovereignty. Remember, at the very beginning, God... God told Jeremiah, what? He told him, he said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as prophet to the nations. Translation, before you were even conceived, Jeremiah, I I had a specific purpose for you, and your life is playing out exactly according to that sovereign plan. It's amazing to me how quickly Jeremiah lost sight of this because he was just at the potter's house in chapter 18 where he watched the master craftsman working with the clay, shaping it with his hands, forming the pot as it seemed best to him and for his purposes. And as Jeremiah watched that, God said to him, can I not do with you as the potter does? Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand. I am forming you for my purpose. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but uh, the truth of God's sovereignty is stressed throughout Scripture with this same potter imagery. You know that? The imagery is found in Genesis. It's found in uh, the book of Job in the Psalms, the book of Isaiah. It's found in the New Testament. Uh, Peter uses the imagery. The apostle John uses the imagery. The apostle Paul uses the imagery. In fact, Paul asked this question to Christians. He said, who are you, human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to do as he wills with the pot? In fact, it's in that same context that the Apostle Paul says, look, we don't know everything, but we know this. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Not my purpose, not our purpose, not our agendas. His agenda, his purpose. The psalmist writes, Whatever the Lord pleases to do, he does. He does it. God said to the prophet Isaiah, a contemporary of Jeremiah, He said, I am God and there is no other. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. My purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. That's hard to miss the point. <laughs> God is sovereign, sovereignly control over the world He created, over history and over our lives. Can I I fully explain that to you? No. Why? Simple. Because a pot is not as smart as the potter. The creation is not as wise as the creator. The The finite can never fully comprehend the infinite. It's impossible. You can't do it. So you say, okay. Okay. God's sovereign, fine, but it's still weird. It's still weird how Jeremiah goes from worshiping God one second to cursing the day he was born the next, and I agree. I, I, I thought it was really weird, too, until I thought about it more, and, I, and then I began to wonder, is it really that weird? Is it really that weird? I mean, we can come in here on Sunday morning and sing, sing, sing about God's love and greatness and faithfulness, yada, 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 as much as we want, but as soon as something bad happens in the afternoon, that's all quickly forgotten. You know what I'm saying? On Sunday, God is good, but when trouble comes on Monday, not so much. We lament our miserable lives and terrible situations, and we wonder if God knows what the heck he's doing. I hear people all the time say, God is good, God is good, God is good. I see him write it on Facebook, God is good, God is good, God is good. Do you know what they, most people mean by that? It means things are going their way. It means they have gotten what they want. God is good. But what about when you don't get what you want? What about when things don't go your way? Is God still good? Or is his goodness contingent on your comfort? Is his goodness contingent on your ever-changing circumstances? Hey, look, man. Jeremiah's behavior was not that different from ours. Not really. We human beings are incorrigibly fickle. God is not. He is not, he is sovereign in his goodness, along with all of his other attributes, never ever change. No matter our circumstances, good or bad. So I don't know if um, all of you have read this entire book or not. Spoiler alert, things don't get better for Jeremiah. Okay, I'm just telling you that. Uh, I, I, wish I I wish I could tell you differently because I think we all like, we like stories with happy endings. You know, we or at least acceptable plot resolution. Uh, but that doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. But this isn't a, this isn't a work of fiction. And scripture is not a book of happy stories. It's the truth. It tells us the truth about life. This was a man's life, and it was incredibly hard. And eventually, Jeremiah ends up exiled to Egypt, where he disappears from history altogether. We know nothing of his death, but we know this about his life. Through it all, even in moments of of confusion and intense suffering, he remained faithful to God, faithful to God's call on his life, and ultimately placed his hope in the hands of the potter. May we live our lives the same way. Let's pray. Our Father, it is, um, it is impossible for us to fully comprehend who you are, what you do, why you do the things you do. It's just impossible. How can the pot be smarter than the potter? How can we who are finite fully comprehend the infinite? We just can't. And so there, are, there will come moments in our, our lives when we, we have to simply trust you instead of running from you, instead of avoiding you, instead of cursing you, instead of even questioning your, your, your goodness, I, I pray that we would just learn to trust. And um, we realize that suffering will come into all of our lives at some point or another. And uh, in those moments, may we like Jeremiah, place our hope in your hands our sovereign God, the true potter. We love you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I can't help but ask the question, do you really believe that? Do you really believe it? Because I tell you what, suffering will will prove it one way or the other. (laughs) And it will touch all of our lives. And look, I'm not telling you that because I want it to be a bummer of a day. I want you to leave... I'd rather you leave here excited the fact that God is in control and he loves you no matter what. And you can trust him no matter what. That's, that's good news to me. Along with that, the fact like Jeremiah, we, we can say, we know the Lord rescues the needy. He rescues the needy. We don't rescue ourselves. That's why Jesus came to rescue us, to bring us life and healing and hope. Um, and that's what it means to be a Christian, to follow Jesus. I hope you understand that. If you, uh, if maybe you're going through some stuff in life, and you, you know, uh, maybe you're angry with God, maybe you just are confused. Uh, following a service, some of our prayer team folks will be down in the front. They'd love to talk with you and pray with you. So, uh, uh, just so you know, they're here. Uh, also, um, uh, come back next week. We're going to take uh, another look at Jeremiah because uh, it's you know the book is filled with a lot of doom and gloom. I mean, that's the message. That's why everybody hated Jeremiah. <laughs> But uh, um, there is a point where Jeremiah, God gives Jeremiah a message of hope to speak to the people. Hope for something new that's coming. And so now, next week we'll take a look at that, okay? We'll see what, see what God has to say. In the meantime, as we sing about God's goodness this morning, keep in mind when your NCAA brackets explode this afternoon, he's still good, okay? Let's, let's just get that out there and make sure everybody's aware, all right? So let me pray for us, and then we're dismissed. And now, Lord, I pray that as we go from this place, wherever life takes us, Oh, wherever it takes us, we would trust you. And we know that you're good and loving. We know that you have our best interests in mind, even when we can't fully understand that. But we place our hope, we place our lives in your hands. May we live such a way that we point people to you, the God who loves them as well. And so may your hand of grace and hope and strength and peace rest on your church today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next Sunday.